Great, thank you. <coughs> These slides are gone now. Okay, that's good. Okay, welcome uh, to the second series of Friday Gathering. And we are going to study uh, uh, Mark. Uh, and then, first of all, I'd like to uh, welcome uh, Jane and Chen. Uh, they are joining us uh, today. Yeah. They are Doreen's friend. Okay, so good. Um, <clears throat> we are going to study um, a gospel according to Mark. And it is quite different book from uh, uh, Romans that we studied. Uh, Romans is uh, hard to understand. Uh, so I even had to write a IKK version for you to understand, just to uh, understand what he is was trying to say. Uh, but uh, Mark, we don't have to do it because uh, uh, it is pretty simple. Uh, the difficulty about it's a little bit too loud. Uh, can you? Um, You're a little bit too loud here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll do a little lower. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the difficulty of uh, of Mark uh, is not. Uh, it is difficult to understand what Mark is uh, trying to do, uh, trying to say. But it is simple story, but it is hard to understand what is trying to communicate. If you are not really careful, you will just hear the bunch of stories. Jesus healing and exercising and all that, but you don't really understand the connection. Now it is a little bit... Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, technical difficulties. Uh, uh, okay, so that is uh, a difficulty about uh, gospel mark. Uh, that's why uh, the uh, sheet that I gave you, uh, it's not just simple scripture uh, laid out, but there's a structures. I put structures there so that you can understand uh, the picture uh, of it. So uh, I hope that we can uh, discuss together and then uh, really uh, study Gospel Mark uh, together uh, uh, and understand uh, what Mark is trying to say. It is the most important book among all the Gospels because it was uh, written first. Uh, so Mark was Mark was first written, and then Matthew and Luke. Uh, and then John. Uh, so Matthew and Luke were influenced by uh, uh, Mark. And then John is influenced in terms of the structure, but the content is very different, very different source. But when you see Matthew and Luke, 
There are a lot of things uh, uh, which are in Mark are also in Matthew and Luke. Same stories. For example, uh, feeding 5,000, uh, they are all in three, actually four uh, Gospels. So uh, that's how. And then uh, when you look at Matthew, big portion of is uh, Mark, but small portion is only Matthew uh, has it. Uh, Luke doesn't have it. Mark doesn't have it. And when you do, uh, see the Luke, big, por- big portion uh, of it is Mark, uh, but s- small portion is uh, Luke uh, alone. You don't find that in Mark or in uh, Matthew. Uh, and then these, these area, only Matthew and Luke share. There's no, nothing in uh, uh, Mark. Uh, so uh, this is a, uh, a Matthew source, and this Lucan source, and then these two are called Q source. Uh, so some that source we can't find where, but there somehow there was somehow Q source, and then Matthew and Luke had Q source available, but not to Mark, but most of it is uh, they got it from uh, uh, Mark. And then John is a totally different source, but the structure uh, is the same. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that's how four Gospels are uh, uh, made up. Uh, scholars are uh, very much interested in Mark because that was first uh, book ever written. Of course, it is after Paul's letters. Paul's letters were written first. But gospel-wise, uh, Mark was the first book, uh, first person who wrote uh, gospel, uh, gospel. And then gospel, uh, it's called euangelion. Euangelion is a gospel, uh, meaning uh, good tidings or Good news, you can say. And Mark was the first person who wrote gospel. It is a new literary style. Uh, Paul's letters were epistles. Uh, But Mark was the first person who wrote uh, literary style like gospel. Jesus' life from the beginning to the end. And that, uh, and then Matthew and Luke both follow that pattern, and John also follow that pattern. That uh, is called uh, gospel. And then Mark was the only New Testament uh, book which says that it is the gospel. When you look at verse uh, chapter one, verse one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God, the beginning of the goodness of Jesus Christ. So uh, Mark is the only New Testament book that calls itself a gospel. Then what is the gospel? It is not a novel. It is not a biography. It is not a history. It is not a poem. Uh, But at the same time, the gospel is all of them. 
novel in the sense that it is a story uh, from the beginning to the end. It is a narrative. It is a story. It's like a novel story. It's like a biography. It's about a person, Jesus Christ. So uh, it has a biographical uh, element. It is a history because it deals with what happened. It's not just novel. It is a history because uh, it deals with what happened. And it is a poem because in uh, the gospel, there's metaphors and parables and all kinds of beautiful uh, proses and poems uh, are in, uh, in the gospel. So and this gospel is about Jesus Christ and goodness about Jesus Christ. And that is what we are going to study. What is the goodness? What is the goodness that uh, Mark is trying to proclaim through uh, his book? Who is Mark? Uh, we don't know. <laughs> Basically. I mean, traditionally, they said that it is John Mark of X, the one who went to mission with St. Paul, and then in the middle of it, he stopped and came back. Then Mark, uh, Barnabas' uh, relative, Mark. Uh, traditionally, uh, people thought that that was Mark, but modern scholars, most of them say that, uh, it's not necessarily him. Uh, it is a probably unknown uh, author. So uh, we don't really know. But uh, how many people ever, uh, how many people didn't even uh, read Mark ever? Yeah. So most of you, uh, most of you uh, read it at least once, right? But it's hard, you know. When you talk about Bible, we're talking about Bible. We don't talk about Mark. Uh, you know, when, when I went to seminary, first, the guy beside me said, oh, you know, Mark is my favorite book. <laughs> what? It's the Bible. <laughs> you, you look at uh, the Bible book in separate way and then realize that they had lots of knowledge about each uh, Bible, each book. But for us, we don't know whether it's com coming from Mark or Matthew or Luke. We don't care. It's just from the Bible. You know, uh, like an angel appear on Jesus' birth. Oh, it's from the Bible. We don't know whether it's from Mark or Matthew or Luke. So, but, but we are going to study Mark specifically. Uh, Mark, he knew, we don't know who he is, but he knew Jesus very well. And he was deeply influenced by Jesus. He saw the new world that Jesus brought into this world. Uh, not only to himself, not only Jesus brought new world to Mark himself, but he brought new world to the whole world. Uh, it is believed to be written uh, between uh, 68 and 73. So somewhere in between 68 to 73. And if Jesus died 33, that is about 35 years later uh, it was written. So it's not, it wasn't written right when Jesus was around. After 35 years uh, 
have uh, passed that Mark uh, wrote this. And this is a very important in some sense because uh, during this time, what happened? 68 to 73. What happened? Uprising against, Rome. uprising against Rome. So there was war between Rome and Jew, uh, Israel. Uh, severe war. Uh, up to that point, even during Jesus' time, this uprising against Rome was, that movement was strong with the fight against uh, Rome and all that. Uh, that's why Jesus was popular somehow because they thought that Jesus is the person who will bring revolution against Rome. That's what a lot of people uh, thought. But what happened in that war? Israel was totally defeated. Cruel death. The children and all it, they were massacred uh, some places. And then uh, AD 70, what happened? The temple was destroyed and Jerusalem was destroyed. So if that was written, if Mark wrote this gospel 68 to 73, then you, the, you understand the political atmosphere. It is very gloomy. War, killing, and, and all kinds of terrible things happened. And during this time, uh, he saw all the tragedy, darkness, war, murder, massacre, and then gloominess of their history, while seeing all that, Mark found hope in Jesus. When everything looked gloomy around him, he found hope in Jesus. He found hope for the world. Nobody saw the hope. Temple was destroyed. The Jerusalem was destroyed. But he saw hope in this person. And Mark realized that how God cares for the world and how we human beings ought to live. And he wanted to communicate this profound realization that he had to the people around him and also to the people in future generations. He experienced this hope. He experienced this, and then he wanted to share this experience he had with people around him, but he didn't know how to do that. He wanted to do that, but he didn't know how to do that. That's why he invented this method of writing, Evangelion, Gospel. It's a genre, it's a new literary style. He created. There was no gospel before Mark. There's no gospel after Mark. Just Mark who wrote this literary uh, piece uh, he, because he wanted to communicate uh, that. So he did not want to just describe 
Jesus' life. He wanted to express the implication of this person uh, and his teaching and his life. The most important person in his life. The only hope for the salvation of this world. And he struggles so much. And it was the story of Jesus, but more than a story, more than a biography, it was a statement of faith. So he wrote this from the heart. It's not that, oh, I want to write a thesis to get my PhD degree, and that's not how he wrote this. Or, oh, it's going to be fun to write a uh, you know, novel. Uh, some people make lots of money by writing a novel about, you know, what a fantasy, whatever. Uh, so I write a novel. No. He felt uh, this hope. He experienced this hope. He had this new realization about this person, very, very special person that he met. He experienced all that he wanted to communicate from his heart what he experienced. Marx, so in that, uh, in the story of Mark, there's intention, conviction, and desire to help people see what he saw and experienced in Jesus. So Mark's purpose is not just to introduce Jesus in vacuum. Mark wants the readers to experience the same thing as himself. And Mark has conviction that this can be done through his writing, and he was right. Many people came to faith through his writing. Many people came to Jesus Christ through his writing. And Matthew and Luke were influenced by Mark, and they wrote also the gospel. And through these books, many people came to faith, and these books became canon. Canon mean, mean, uh, literally means ruler, uh, you know, measuring ruler. Uh, ruler of faith. Uh, your faith has to be measured by this, uh, their, what they wrote. So uh, their books became canon. <clears throat> and then Mark was an ordinary person like you and, you and I. He's not a special person. He was just, he met Christ and he experienced Christ and he wanted to write it, write about Christ. That's why uh, he wrote this. And that is what we'll explore uh, together. So <clears throat> let us start reading. So this is kind of reading class in a way. Uh, we'll read through uh, Gospel Mark. The scripture was written not to uh, read with your eyes, but read verbally. So we'll uh, read uh, verbally uh, too. So why don't uh, we do that, starting from Peter, 
Maybe you can start a few verses and then we move on. Uh, as I read the Gospel of Mark, <clears throat> if I just read through, this is just a bunch of uh, disjointed, uh, fragmented stories. And when I read, uh, read it over and over again, I kind of found structure. That's why I divided first chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 3, verse 6. And I, I found this structure. One is on the left side is John the Baptist, Jesus' baptism, Jesus' temptation. It's almost like preparation of Jesus coming into the public. And then right side, when Jesus came into the public, he called uh, uh, disciples and then uh, he taught and he exercised and he healed. So those three things. Uh, uh, the, 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 what is it? Uh, 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 teaching, exercising, uh, and uh, healing. Those three uh, big ministry. And then big, as, as people saw that, people searched for Jesus. That was the first page. But immediately, second page, when you look at it, uh, I see four controversies. Uh, so, so Jesus, it's not just about story, but it's story about controversy. Jesus went into controversy because of uh, what he did. So that is the basic structure uh, that I found. So uh, I have uh, these two pages uh, with you and then look at the structure. So let us look at uh, from the beginning. Uh, any? Oh, the door is all opens, yeah. How does Mark begin his gospel? I mean, he wrote this intentionally. So you cannot just say, oh, there's a Mark wrote this. But how does Mark begin his gospel? What does he do in the beginning? First, he puts down beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. But after that, what is he doing? Opening act. Eh? Opening act. What is the opening act? Mm, that before Jesus comes, he sets the tone. Yeah. Okay, he introduces John the Baptist. And then before he introduces John the Baptist, what does he do? Huh? Yes, yes. He uh, brings out the Old Testament, the prophecy. And this is Old Testament uh, quote. That is Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. And then Isaiah uh, 40 says, so, see, I'm sending my messenger to prepare the way. So he takes uh, from Malachi this part. And then a voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And then from Isaiah, he takes these two scripture passages that uh, Mark knew, because uh, by the time Mark wrote, there was no New Testament. He had only Old Testament. Jewish scripture. And most likely, he had a Septuagint. Septuagint meaning Greek Bible of the Old Testament. Hebrew, or not the Hebrew one, but the Greek uh, Old Testament is called Septuagint. 
Septuagint. Okay, uh, so uh, he from that Old Testament he took out two uh, passages, and then when you look at the beginning, why do you think he did he did that? Why do you think he did that? Oh, what what effect what effect is he trying to bring out by coding these Old Testament passages? Legitimacy, okay. Yeah. Mm, kind of proof text, or okay, good. Anything else? So it's not just isolated uh, instantly. It has been foretold. Long time ago. Yeah. Good. Very good. Yeah. Anything else? Anything else? What he's trying to do? I mentioned about the word and all that. Like these uh, prophecy, these uh, uh, prophecies are in the gloomy time. They were saying there's a hope. Uh, there, uh, the God is preparing the way. God is sending a person. So he, he, you know, we know in the Old Testament, Isaiah said this and Malachi said this. In our gloomy time, these prophets told us about this good news, that God is caring for us and God is sending somebody. So uh, there is a sense of waiting, sense of coming, and sense of new beginning, Sense of light breaking through the dark cloud. Sense of sound breaking through the silence. Like there was a 400 years of silence since Malachi. After Malachi died, there was no prophecy. So for, 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 for 400 years, there was a silence. And then John came out and started speaking and then voice was like a prophetic voice. The, the sound breaking through the silence of 400 years. Right now, the Israel was going through the world. Dark, gloomy days were around them, but there was a sense of hope. And that was spiritual awakening Mark experienced through Jesus. His life was total gloominess. But there was a voice in the wilderness, wilderness, in the in the wilderness. There was a voice of hope. There was a voice of new beginning. There was a voice of uh, uh, God's salvation. So he experienced that in that hopeless situation and 
darkest night, he saw a ray of light coming through the dark cloud in the storm. So I got this picture. It's kind of, you know, very stormy, dark, but in the cloud there's a ray of light. I mean, if you do it in the sanctuary, it's better. The, 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 our projector is really, really bad, so you don't see the effect of it. But when you look at it in the computer, you sense something. There is a ray of light that Mark experienced. And then he thought about these scripture passages. Oh, our prophets wrote this. And then he started scribbling down. Isaiah said this, and then uh, Malachi said this, and he took quotes from these two books, and he started with this. Oh, this is great. This is a good beginning. So he, uh, he wrote uh, these two uh, prof- pro- prophets he quoted, and he started his story with this uh, Old Testament quotation. He saw the movement of new beginning in John the Baptist. In Jesus' time, John the Baptist was a very, very unique person who was crying out for the need of new beginning. Nobody was thinking about new beginning. Everybody was just comfortable, satisfied with their religion, with their law, with their custom, with their privilege, and all these things, they were just satisfied with status quo. But John the Baptist came out alone. He was lonely. He was alone. He was all by himself. He came out in the wilderness saying, he preached that you have to repent. New beginning is needed. You have to turn around. What is repentance? Repentance is not just about moral sins. Repentance is about you have to turn away your, from your familiarity. You have to turn away from what you're comfortable with. You cannot just maintain the status quo. You cannot just continue as you have lived. You have to turn around. You have to sense the urgency. So I wrote down... Uh, I mean, Gospel Mark is very much about urgency. Here, uh, when you look at it, there's immediately, immediately, immediately. There's a, a lot of uh, immediately, immediacy, uh, immediacy, and then uh, urgency. And then John the Baptist came out with that urgent need that we have to, the new beginning has begun, and then we have to participate in that new beginning. And then he asked people to uh, be baptized. So John the Baptist was a unique voice. He was like the voice in the wilderness. For 400 years, there was no voice, and now they hear the voice. And Mark saw the life of Israel like a wilderness. Mark Mark saw his life like a wilderness. And then he heard this voice. Ah, John the Baptist at that time preached uh, to repent. And this is all about God's plan. And he 
started with John the Baptist. That's why he started with John the Baptist. It's like a, from the dark cloud, there's a ray of light coming out. And then John baptized people. And Mark has a kind of uh, uh, exaggerating uh, tone. All people from Judea, all people from of course, all people didn't come, but he said, all people from Jerusalem. So uh, he, he was uh, saying that, and then he baptized all people. Who did, he, who did he baptize? Who did he baptize? See, these questions are very important questions, and then when you read the Bible, you just read the Bible, right? You have to raise questions, and then, uh, then, then you question, and you, oh, who did he baptize? Not only did Jesus disciple. All the people from Jerusalem, all the people from uh, Judea. And who are these people? They are Jews. They're Jews, right? The Jewish people there. Then what kind of question do you have to ask? Why? <laughs> exactly. Why? Why do you ask the, the why question? Huh? Why did they get baptized? Then the first question that we have to ask ourselves is, what is baptism? Right? <laughs> then there's a first question we have to ask. What is baptism? We know what baptism is because after 2,000 years, we do all the times of baptism. But in Jesus' time, in John's time, what, is, what was baptism? We have to ask ourselves. Right? Don't you? Right? Why did they do baptism? Right? And in the, when you read the Old Testament, there was no place where people were baptized. It was John the Baptist who began, who introduced this baptism. Did you, did you see any baptism story in the Old Testament? There's no baptism story. The closest story is about Nam and uh, uh, went to uh, Jordan River seven times, dipped himself. That was the baptism kind of idea. But there was no such thing as baptism right. Right? There was no baptism. Then, then you have to ask, ask yourself, what is baptism? Right? Baptism in John's time or Jesus' time was introductory right for the Gentiles. There were some Gentiles who wanted to become Jew. Uh, religion-wise. Then uh, they baptize these people with water so that they become uh, Jews. Then next question is, uh, Veronica and Simon, why were Jews baptized? Because these were for Gentiles to become Jew. Why were Jews baptized? Because today, when you look at it, all the Jews were baptized, right? Why were Jews baptized? Why do you think so? What what is Mark trying to communicate here? That is kind of critical thinking, critical study, right? Even the Jewish people needed a new beginning. Exactly. For the new beginning, there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. Your religion will not begin or bring about new beginning. Your custom, your law will not be able to bring a new beginning. 
So in that sense, that uh, uh, Peter's, I mean, Mark's uh, theology is similar to Paul's theology, right? So uh, there, there's no Jew, uh, neither Greek or uh, nor Jew, or, you know, uh, Paul. So in the new beginning, uh, everybody needs to be uh, baptized. Then let me ask you a question: Is baptism sign or means? <laughs> is baptism sign or means? If it is means, what is it? It is pre-requirement. If it is sign, then what happened? It just shows. Do you understand what I'm saying? It is means then you have to be baptized to be forgiven. If it is sign, you're already forgiven and this is a sign. Do you understand what I'm saying? No? You got it? Like, baptism was not a requirement to be forgiven. God already began the ministry of forgiveness. And then all you need to do is come and recognize that you are forgiven. That, so it is uh, rather sign uh, than uh, requirement or uh, means by which uh, you get forgiveness. And uh, Jesus Christ was baptized as a sign that of this new era, of this new beginning. If baptism were prerequisite for salvation, Jesus didn't need baptism. Jesus didn't have to be uh, baptized. But Jesus fully participate, uh, participated in this uh, ministry of new beginning. Even though Jesus was baptized by John, Jesus was greater. Uh, that was what John recognized. Uh, that's what John said. The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John uh, uh, baptized Jesus, but John recognized that uh, Jesus was greater. Uh, I before I explain to you, like a, John was a finger that points to the moon. Uh, John was only the finger. You don't look at finger. You look at what finger points to. And then John points to, pointed to Jesus. Jesus was the moon. And then John was only the finger. And that is a very, very important element of healthy spirituality. Jesus was also the finger. He pointed to God. While on earth, he always pointed to God rather than himself. Even though he was in the form of God, he emptied himself, St. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2. So Jesus was also the finger pointing to the moon. And we also, as Christians, we are only fingers. We are not the moon. We don't take the glory for ourselves. 
we only point to God. That is continuously uh, the uh, be the has to be the spirituality that we have to have. We don't draw attention to ourselves. We give this attention all to Jesus Christ and to God. All the times we need to do that. And Jesus was the light that revealed God, exposed God. Jesus' baptism signifies the beginning of the new world of God. And Jesus fully participated in that. And uh, Jesus' uh, baptism revealed who Jesus was, God's beloved son. And our baptism also reveals who we are. We are God's beloved children. And we, this we hold on to. No matter what happens, we hold on to the fact that we are the children of God. And as soon as baptism was over, the Spirit came down upon Jesus like a dove. And that Spirit, very gentle Spirit, who came down upon Jesus, violently cast out Jesus into the wilderness. Uh, the scripture says, drive out. In Greek, it says, ekbolo. Ekbolo, uh, when was this word used? When Jesus cast out demons, Jesus ekboloed demons. With that force and violent force, that spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness. Why? There's no answer for why. But simply shows the reality of what Jesus is to face. It is not to strengthen Jesus' character. It is not to test Jesus' strength. It is not to destroy Jesus' purpose. Simply shows what Jesus really has to face. That's what Jesus came to face and overcome. Right from the beginning, Jesus faced opposition. My friends, it shows the reality of Christian life. When temptation comes to you, when trials come to you, don't ask why. There's no answer for why. It is just reality that we have to face. There is no why. When difficulties come, don't ask why. It is a part of the deal in following Christ and living our life. Christian life is not necessarily easy and comfortable. The moment we are baptized, we are faced with challenges and difficulties. Some people may become Christians because they want their lives easy and comfortable, but soon they will be disillusioned. Yes, being a Christian does open our eyes and lets us see more clearly, but life itself can become more difficult.
John, uh, verse 14 says that John was arrested, and then later he will be beheaded. And the other day I talked with a woman. Uh, she's going through a lot of hard time. And so I simply said, uh, it'll be much easier if you're not Christian, eh? And he said, yes. Yes, it'll be much, much easier if I were not Christian. So being a Christian sometimes is difficult. And that's a reality. That's the deal. Jesus, as soon as he was baptized, he was thrown out into the wilderness. Jesus' personal life was difficult, and yet he proclaimed the good news of God. And that is calling that we all received. And then so first thing Jesus did was calling of disciples. And disciples will be a part of proclaiming this good news. And Jesus chose these people to do so. Jesus wanted these people to see who Jesus was. And right now, they could not see Jesus. Demon saw it. John the Baptist saw it. But the disciples could not see who Jesus really was. And this gospel is about disciples' eyes being opened slowly, little by little. And that is what we are going through, too. At first, we take Jesus, maybe very religiously, and that religious image will be shattered. And then new image comes, new understanding comes, and then more and more intimately, you start understanding who Jesus is. And that's what uh, this gospel uh, is telling us. And then after the Jesus ministry, comes out, and exorcism, teaching, and healing. Exorcism is to do with the evil of the world. Jesus came out to deal with the evil of the world, injustice of the world. And teaching, Jesus came to deal with the blindness of people, how blinded people are. And healing, Jesus came to deal with the wound of people. And Jesus' presence provoked the evil spirits. They didn't want to be bothered with. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Yes, that's what Jesus came to do. Destroy the evil. They knew Jesus' agenda. And also Jesus' teaching was very different. It was teaching with authority. Jesus' teaching was not to add more information to you or more knowledge to you, but cast out what was unnecessary. So when you, when you learn Jesus effectively, instead of gaining more knowledge about Jesus, you are casting out unnecessary pride, greed, and all those things. That is the power of Jesus' teaching. When you learn Jesus in a wrong way, you add more. But when you learn Jesus in the right way, you 
give up more. So as you learn more about Jesus, you put down your pride, put down your greed, put down your self-centeredness, and all these things you put down. And that was Jesus' teaching. And Jesus came to heal. He came to heal all of us. Your emotional sickness, physical sickness, and then uh, hurt, Jesus came to heal. And then we believe that Jesus came uh, to do that. And that's our ministry too. Exorcism. Like we have to fight against the evil. We have to fight against the injustice of the world. And then second, we have to also continuously teach people to open their eyes and see. And then third, we have to continuously get involved in the ministry of healing. Uh, we, each other, uh, help uh, uh, being healed. And the healing is part of uh, our uh, ministry. And then the other day, one woman uh, came uh, to me and uh, told me, you know, Reverend, you pour out so much and, uh, and I see the fruit of it. So, oh, I was quite encouraged that in ESM there's some fruit uh, of it. Uh, pour out, you spread, and there's some, some seed uh, that will flourish and bear fruit. Now, next uh, page when you're going to, and that's what Jesus came to do in the first page. And, and then as a result, all these people came. All these people gathered around Jesus, and then they wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus became the, uh, the, uh, the uh, mania. Uh, Jesus became, the, he, he was a celebrity. And then everybody wanted to see Jesus and all that. But the next story that we hear is that Jesus healed the leper, but he told the leper not to tell anyone. Why do you think Jesus said that? Why do you think Jesus, and then I want you to Discuss together. Why do you think Jesus told lepers not to tell anyone? So why don't you discuss among yourselves in a group? So, I mean, Jesus was healing uh, three things. What were those three uh, things of Jesus' ministry? Teaching. Exorcism, healing. Okay, so those three things are main pillars of Jesus' ministry. And then this time, another story comes out, it's about a healing. But I don't think Mark introduced that story to talk about healing. He brought that story to talk about not Jesus' uh, request of not telling anyone. So he brought that story in. So it is different from other healing stories. So separate it out. Why do you think Mark told, I mean, uh, Jesus told the lepers not to tell anyone? 
I think it's pretty significant in uh, Mark. Any story? Okay, <laughs> good, good. I think you articulated it very well. Uh, did you all hear that? Yeah. And so when you look at verse 6, the uh, chapter 3, verse 6, the last verse of your scripture, the Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Already, this was uh, happening. I mean, there were people who were mesmerized by Jesus. They wanted to follow Jesus. They wanted to be healed. They wanted to get ministry from Jesus. But there were other people who were conspired against Jesus. Jesus knew human beings very well. Human psychology very well. And then he did all the good things, but he knew that this good thing that he was doing will be used in political turmoil, in a political situation, and people use it uh, politically against him. He knew that while doing it. Uh, that's why he told lepers not to tell anyone. Because it's not, it's too early. Because he had to teach disciples to really understand what Jesus was trying to do. It's not time yet. That if uh, something happened, that he will be killed right away. So he needed more time to be able to preach the gospel, not to many people, but to at least the core. Even the core, they received so much teaching from Jesus. But at the end, what happened? They all scattered. They never understood. You know, following Jesus is not easy. It's not about multitude. It is about discipleship. I mean, if Jesus wanted multitude, he would have done miracles and all that. He didn't have to tell lepers not to tell anyone. But Jesus wanted to really disciple the core people who understand Jesus' mission, Jesus' purpose, and who Jesus was, and then carry on after Jesus died. He wanted to build that core group. He wasn't interested in multitude because he always knew that multitude come and go. Very easily come and go. That's not what he was interested in. He wanted, he needed time. That's why he only worked with 12 disciples. Even one, he failed. Uh, and then, he really taught them, but they, they never understood until the end. And Jesus always saying, how foolish you are. 
how long I must stay with you? And he continuously said that. These core group did not understand. And a lot of times us too. We are so influenced by multitude, by the number. But what is important is really the core understanding of who Jesus was. That's uh, 12 disciples. That's uh, what was important. And then four controversies uh, that come out about, I think these uh, controversies, not only uh, he just wrote down, but these are controversies that people criticized Jesus against uh, at that time. These are popular kind of criticism about Jesus. And then one popular criticism about Jesus is that Jesus, why does he forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. That was a theology at that time. Human beings cannot forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. And then why is Jesus saying that, uh, declaring that you are, your sins are forgiven? So here, uh, when you look at this controversy one, uh, Jesus asked this question. Oh, yeah, then. <clears throat> okay, after that. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk? This <clears throat> paralytic, <clears throat> he healed and said, your sins are forgiven. And then the Pharisees, why is this fellow speaking blasphemy against God? And this is what Jesus said. In what way is Jesus answering their uh, opposition? What does it? What does it say? What, what does that, this? Uh, question mean? What is Jesus trying to say to these Pharisees? Probably Pharisees. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying and they just went away. <laughs> what is he saying? <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> well, he was challenging, uh, challenging their uh, paradigm on what sin is because back then um, what's it called that's right good sin good sin and social location were kind of synonymous yeah okay. meaning if if you were like paralyzed or something it was because yeah. somewhere along the line you or someone like your ancestor or, or father or whatever had sinned or yourself yeah or yourself yeah. yeah and so I mean Jesus is basically saying by being healed, it's the same thing as having your sins forgiven. Yeah, that's right. Something like that. That's very good. That's very good. So he's uh, challenging you. You think that this person uh, is sick because of his sin. Now this person is not sick. So his sin is forgiven, isn't it? Right? That's what Jesus is saying. So I'm just declaring that this person's sins are forgiven. This person is healed. So this person's sins are forgiven. So that's what Jesus is saying to them. And then second controversy, friends with sinners, like tax collectors. You know who the tax collectors are, right? Oh, who are they? Okay, Edward. 
you're in tax, right? <laughs> Tell us, what tax collectors? Huh? Yeah. 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 What kind of corruption? Mm, okay. Yeah. Well, what they did was uh, Romans are smart. They used uh, uh, Jews, as you said, but like a district one, district two, district three, district four. Okay. District one, you're the tax collector, and in from district one, you can uh, give me a thousand dollars. But whatever you collect is up to you. You collect whatever you. If you collect two thousand, you make thousand dollars. And then you give Roman government just bring thousand. So these tax collectors, when you know they aggressively collected taxes for their own richness. Yeah, they are empowered by Rome. And then they said Roman government asked for this, and they were kind of lying, and then they're cheating, and then they collected money, and then for them so they to. That's why Jews hated tax collectors, and Matthew. One of the disciples was tax collector. And then today, when you look at it, all the tax collectors gathered together. And all the sinners, right? Uh, about friends with sinners, right? He saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, uh, uh, sitting at the tax booth, and he said, follow me. And then he followed. That's Matthew, right? Uh, uh, and then uh, all that. So tax collectors. And then what did Jesus say? What was Jesus' answer? Well, what is this mentality in the controversy too? Well, what are they when they accused Jesus of doing that? What are what are they saying basically? Their mentality, social mentality. I can kind of understand. Like, why are you siding with like the the sellouts or the traitors? Of their own people, hmm. kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I kind of understand that sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Be like, why? What? Like, yeah. Why are sure. you siding with like the oppressors of their own people in a way? Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. Uh, that's good. Good. Good question to, uh, to raise. How about others? But at the same time, you're not any better than tax collectors because your sin might be a little bit less than others, but in a scale of God's perspective. Mm. I mean, basic idea of uh, Jews, uh, Jewish cleanliness is that sinners, bad people, you stay away from them. By doing that, you clean, you, like, you don't contaminate yourself. But they were offended because Jesus was in them, with them. They were offended by the sinners, the bad people. And what Jesus, what did, what did Jesus say? What is Jesus' mentality? Jesus came, the, 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 you know, the people who are not sick, they don't need doctors. People who are sick, 
they need doctors. So what Jesus is saying is, instead of avoiding the problems, avoiding the darkness, he entered into the darkness. He entered into the problem and dealt with the problems. That's what Jesus' mentality was. Like, this world is sinful, but instead of God staying away from this world, Jesus Christ came to this world to uh, deal with our sins. And that is kind of uh, mentality that Jesus was uh, showing. So it is, uh, what is our mentality uh, when you deal with the sinners? Are we just staying away from them? Or are we really dealing with uh, their problems in that way? Okay. Controversy C, uh, three, fasting, about fasting. What is that about? Why are your disciples not religious? Why aren't they fasting? And Jesus' answer is, being religious is good, but new attitude is more important. New cloth on an old cloak, new wine into old wineskin. This is, I think about it more and more. Being religious is not really helpful many times. When it actually problem occurs, a lot of times it's religious people who cause problems, who stir up problems. And then I see themselves, you're so religious and you cannot be generous. You cannot forgive. You cannot accept. When I look at it, it didn't make sense to me. Being religious, and I realize that being religious is quite different thing from being spiritual. And then that's what Jesus say. They were religious, but it's like uh, putting old wine, a uh, new wine, into old wine skin. Jesus' teaching cannot be contained in being religious. We cannot understand Jesus by just being religious. Only when we enter into Jesus' life, we can understand uh, Jesus uh, better. And then all these religious people killed, ultimately, Jesus. It's not non-religious people. It was religious people who killed Jesus. And then controversy four about Sabbath. What Jesus is saying is, the religion that prohibits one from doing good is not a good religion. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? Original purpose of Sabbath was to preserve life, to continue and celebrate life. Actually, we don't keep Sabbath. Sabbath keeps us. We have to understand. We don't keep Sabbath. Sabbath keeps us. Sabbath preserves our life. And then these people brought these problems. You know, reading all that, 
these controversies and all that, I was asking this question to myself. How was it possible even for the Son of God to have such a hard time surviving in this world? That question came to me. How was it possible even for the Son of God to survive, to have such a hard time surviving? He survived only three years. When he was quiet, up to 30, he had no problem. He lived well. But as he started speaking out, as he started doing ministry in public, he lasted only three years. And I asked myself, what kind of world do we create, even for the Son of God, to survive only three years. I wonder if Jesus comes now, how long he will survive? Maybe less than three years? I wonder whether we can take him if Jesus comes now. And then what kind of world have we created? You know, and then that thought, when Jesus, right in the beginning, he came to do all these beautiful things, but immediately, next page, what we see is controversy. One after another. All they think about is criticizing. All they think about is judging. There's no really uh, understanding. So while reading this, and I think Mark uh, tried to communicate that uh, Jesus came and how frustrated he must have been seeing the, everything that was going on. And that's what I was uh, thinking reading this. Okay, uh, today <clears throat> we'll finish here. And then next week uh, from chapter 3, to maybe chapter 8, if you could read, chapter 3 to chapter 8. Uh, and I don't know how much I will cover, but uh, when if you have time, it's like a short novel. It's a 16 chapters only. You just read through 1 to uh, 16 uh, and see the flow, how uh, Mark is trying to communicate the gospel to us. Okay, uh, let us pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for guiding us and leading us. We thank you for giving us the beautiful gospel through Mark. We ask you, Lord, to continuously challenge us, challenge our thinking, challenge our life as we delve into the depth of Mark's teaching. Help us, O oh Lord, to have sincere attitude, to truly understand what Mark is trying to communicate. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.